Hello and welcome to Tribe Talking, the podcast of Tribe Talk. Here we have conversations and offer insights for Jewish middle and high school students as they look toward college and beyond. From wisely evaluating Jewish life on campuses to equipping themselves should they encounter any anti-Semitic and anti-Israeli sentiments. Tribe Talk is an expanding hub of resources guiding students and their parents along the way at a time when Jewish pride and identity is being challenged. Hi, I'm Jordan Rich, and I'm here today with Dr. Rachel Fish, founding executive director of the Foundation to Combat Anti-Semitism. Rachel, how about we start with an overview of where we are today with anti-Semitic and anti-Israeli sentiment on many college campuses? Sure. So college campuses really are unique. The campuses, you can't overgeneralize because it really depends on the particular campus and on the geographical location of that campus. Also, community colleges are very different than four-year colleges, and some of the state universities are also very different than some of the elite institutions or small liberal arts universities. So you really do have to look at campuses on a case-by-case basis. Would it be safe to say that in the larger metropolitan areas where there's an influx of people from all over, there's more likely to be anti-Semitism? Yeah, I think what's fair to say is to say that where you have a strong humanities program on a college campus, and very often in large metropolitan areas, you will find that it is not difficult to see anti-Semitism. And sometimes it's right below the surface, and sometimes it is in plain sight. What I would say, however, is that it is very hard at times for students, not just Jewish students, but all types of students from different backgrounds, and for administrators to sometimes be able to define and to label that anti-Semitism because it doesn't always typically look like traditional forms of anti-Semitism. And that's part of the challenge on campus. Before we get into the forms it takes, let's define humanities programs because many people listening to this are young people in high school and it's a whole new experience when they head to college. What are we talking about? So we're talking about comparative literature. We're talking about history. We're looking at anthropology, the study of peoples and cultures, sociology, the way people interact with one another. We're talking about not science programs, not math programs. And and why that matters is because what we have found in pre-med programs, business programs, programs related to the hard sciences, two plus two equals four. Right. That's very different in the humanities, which is often thinking about methodologies and applying interpretation, much of it being subjective. And an important piece to understand around this is that the humanities have intellectual ideas that have influenced the way in which these subjects have been taught. And because of that framing, it has created a particular perception around Judaism, Jews, and particularly Israel. In the giant scheme of things, humanities is a wonderful concept because you're bringing ideas and offering ideas to students and letting them sort things out. But you say, and it's obvious if you read the headlines, that this has shifted a lot. Why has it shifted so much, do you think? Sure. I, I think it's a great question. And I would, I would agree with you that the humanities are one of the most important large 
baskets of subjects that we should all be studying because when we read Plato and Aristotle and when we think about philosophy and history, these foundational ideas help us understand and make meaning of the world in which we are living. However, there are certain intellectual ideas within the humanities that have been elevated or um, utilized for a very specific purpose. And let me just give you a couple of examples to make this concrete. There's the idea of Orientalism. It's an idea that was used in the study of Middle Eastern studies for years, decades. And the father of Orientalism in many ways was a professor, Edward Said from Columbia University. And what Edward Said's influence was in terms of the study of Orientalism was that he gave individuals a sense that if you did not come from the eastern part of the world that you had no right to criticize it so meaning a westerner someone from america someone from europe couldn't criticize what was happening in the east so how does this play out if you are teaching a class and your professor is talking to you about feminism in the middle east or feminism in africa and the professor says that there is female genital mutilation that takes place in these countries but we, as Westerners, have no right to critique those engaged in female genital mutilation because we're not from that particular part of the world. Mm. So Ayan Hirsi Ali, who is from Somalia, talks a lot about this. And she says, we need Westerners. We need feminism to critique that because it is highly problematic. And to be silent on it is actually some form of racism because we're saying we don't expect these individuals from the East to behave in a different way, even though mm. this is actually a violation of human rights. Why is it as so-called popular a movement with certain professors in certain universities as it has been? What's allowed it to get out of hand? We both agree that humanities, it's not in balance. Why? It's not in balance, particularly because in the field of humanities, that subjectivity is meaning it's not two plus two equals four. Right. And so people come to that subject matter very often with a particular agenda. Um, and that agenda is to be able to look at the world in which we are living and to figure out what's right and what's wrong. And very often, it's not that simple. There's a lot of gray in the middle where that complexity exists. And that's actually what we should be engaging with and helping our students learn about. We should be teaching them not what to think, um, but how to think and ask critical questions and become critical readers. Um, but it's not about actually telling them you need to believe A, B, and C. What advice do you have for those about to come to college, about to apply and go to their favorite school, what they're going to face and how they can deal with it? So the first thing I would tell students of any age, whether it's high school, because we see this also in high schools and also, of course, in college, is that it's very important to not be part of a herd mentality. It's important to be able to stand up and to be able to clearly articulate what you believe in and why. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be an expert on a particular subject. You don't have to become the, the person who knows everything. You also don't have to become a lawyer who can argue the best possible case. But you have to feel a sense of confidence in your own identity and who you are in order to be able to say, this doesn't feel right. 
something about this is making me second guess or question. Mm. And I don't need to do what everyone else is doing just because this has become part of the litmus test of a particular political program. Is there a sense that it's more from the professors than it is from student groups, or is it a mix in terms of where this anti-Jewish, anti-Israel, anti-Semitism sentiment is coming from? On college campuses, again, depending on the campus, I think you really see a couple of different influences that can create a hostile environment for Jewish students. And I think it's important to outline a few of those in, in pretty broad strokes. The first relates to faculty. There is a very clear power differential that exists between students and professors. And sometimes students don't feel comfortable questioning their professor because they feel like, who am I to question it? And my grade may suffer if I do question it, even if it's not in a confrontational way. Secondly, there are some faculty who really value academic freedom, but they have completely forgotten the flip side of that coin, which is academic responsibility. And so students are getting a very one-sided political agenda, particularly in subjects around the study of Israel, the study of the Middle East, um, even around some of the other subjects that we said in, in broader conversations around history and sociology and anthropology. And when that happens, this, the teacher is using the classroom as a bully pulpit to promote a very clear political agenda. So that's what you see from the side of faculty. From the side of students, what you often find is that there are some student groups on campus that tend to be very vocal. Sometimes they're not even very large in size, but they are extremely loud in their message. And they tend to utilize intimidation. Uh, they tend to be bullies. They tend to try to stop other forms of speech in order to promote their own speech. This happens on college campuses very often, usually around the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, usually around discussions about Israel and human rights issues. And Israel tends to be the lightning rod for these organizations. And what happens in addition to that is many of those organizations build alliances with other organizations that many students deeply care about, whether it's women's rights issues, Black Lives Matter issues, whatever it may be, but they're all lumped together because they become the litmus test for how progressive you are and how anti-Israel you are is thrown into that basket. We've talked about the professors. We've talked about student groups. What about outside influences? Do they matter? Outside influences absolutely matter, particularly around foreign funding, funding that's coming from Qatar, the United Arab Emirates, from problematic countries who are using their funding in order to dictate the types of courses that will be taught in particular programs and departments. And in essence, they are buying American education. And students need to be aware of that, and administrators need to understand the consequences for that. Very important to recognize that as you're getting ready for school or if you're in college. So one more question, and we're going to cover other aspects and other podcasts with you, but if you were to give general advice to students either entering or in college who are facing this kind of thing and are kind of shocked, perhaps, if they haven't heard our message, what advice would you give? Just very, very basic. First, I would say create a mapping of the campus to understand who your allies are who your friends are, and who the detractors are. 
and to be able to identify and think about where there are opportunities to build bridges and relationships with individuals and also find the faculty members on campus who are the grown-up support who can help the student particularly navigate the political minefield that exists on campus. Rachel, can't thank you enough for your expertise, your time, and most importantly, your heartfelt uh, concern for students. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Our guest on the podcast has been Dr. Rachel Fish, founding executive director of the Foundation to Combat Anti-Semitism. You've been listening to Tribe Talking, the podcast of Tribe Talk. We invite you to subscribe, download, rate, and review our podcast, and please tell your friends about us. Send us your questions and feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Our website is tribetalk.org. This is Jordan Rich. Thanks for listening.